Hey, thanks for listening to the Murray Hills podcast. This week, I start a series called At the Movies, where we take popular movies and discuss the spiritual themes. So unfortunately, since this is all audio, you don't get to see the clips, but you will get to hear them. And hopefully things translate that way. But I really appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this message. As you're having a seat, kids can be dismissed to children's ministry. Miss Tammy will be waiting for you. Uh, that door right there. And thank you for hanging with us today. Because if you drove down the hill this morning, you saw all the people leaving. And you were probably thinking, uh-oh, uh, they just got out. This must be a long one. It is a little bit longer than normal today. we got a lot to cover, but it's going to go really quick. Um, we're in a series called At the Movies, where we take movies and talk about the themes or the the topics of those movies. Last week's movie was Raya and the Last Dragon, and it asked a question. How did this world get so broken? Uh, This week's movie answers the question, Uh, at least one of the answers to the questions. And I want to start with a few words from Bill Haslam. The former governor of Tennessee just released a book uh, called Faithful Presence, and the very first chapter is titled Divided and Angry. And I think his words resonate with what we're going to talk about today. He says, it's no secret that we live in a divided nation. The last nine presidential elections have been decided by single-digit margins, the longest streak in the country's history. No presidential winner has received over 55% of the vote since 1984. And the new president has received less than 52% of the vote in seven out of the last eight elections. I do not see that changing anytime soon. But we are not only divided, we are mad about it. And we cannot believe the other side thinks the way they do. A January 2017 Reuters poll revealed that one in six Americans had stopped talking to a family member or close friend because of the 2016 election. Of course, political division is nothing new in our country. He goes on and talks about Andrew Jackson and some of the politics of the past. But he says, now times are different. And our divisions feel deeper. When Jackson's protege, James K. Polk, was elected president, it took almost 10 days for word of his electoral success to reach his home in Tennessee. Today, the president's Twitter account can reach 100 million followers with the push of the send button. Protest and counter-protest can be organized in the time it takes to compose an email or a text. A virtual protest can overwhelm a business or an individual before there's even time to organize a response. Case in point, the COVID-19 pandemic. Every issue quickly takes on a political undertone. It did not take long before views on who was responsible for the outbreak and opinions on how to reopen the economy after the shutdown and even whether or not to wear a mask took on strongly partisan tones. But this is the paragraph that caught my attention. Along with our division, and maybe partly due to our division, we see a growing concern about the direction of our society. The quality of our discourse continues to decline as people get used to hiding behind the anonymity and safety of the internet. As real community becomes a smaller part of our lives, many of us sense a growing, uh, feel a growing sense of disconnection and decreasing hope for the future. Now, I read those words the day after I rewatched The Social Dilemma. And I was thinking, it looks like the former governor of Tennessee watched The Social Dilemma as well. And this was the quote that I want to put on the screen 
that got me here, that as real community becomes a smaller part of our lives, many of us feel a growing sense of disconnection and decreasing hope for the future. The Social Dilemma is a documentary that starts to explain why we feel that way. Here's the trailer. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. Everyone's entitled to their own facts. There's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. All right, so it's a, it's a very scary trailer, and it's a, it's a scary documentary. Um, one of the things you'll notice when you're watching it is there's not a lot of nuance, there's not a lot of counterpoints, there's not a lot of debate and discussion, there's not a lot of presentation of the other side of the issue, and I think that's because that's not how a documentary works. Uh, a documentary is designed to present a very one-sided argument to say, you know, we're trying to persuade you to see something in a particular way, and this movie is very persuasive and it does a very good job with its intent. Um, from the very beginning, like they're interviewing all of these people that, that created all of this stuff, like the people from Facebook and Google and Amazon and Apple and all, they're talking to all of these folks, and they ask them, what's the problem? And there's kind of awkward silence, and they're shuffling around in their seats, and it begins this montage of news outlets, news media clips that are saying, you know, that connecting social media to everything from, you know, the mental health crisis, depression, anxiety, isolation, our political polarization, social upheaval, the, the deterioration of our social connections and social relationships, and uh, it's scary stuff. 
I did have one disclaimer, though, watching this, and I probably should have told you this last week, but uh, it's not just social media. So I think that the first reaction when you watch this, especially if you're a parent or grandparent, your first reaction is, that's it, we're getting off social media. No more social media ever again. You know, we're going to delete all our accounts. And um, that's not what I'm going to tell you to do today. I don't think that's realistic, A, and B, I don't even know if that's wise to delete it all because this is the world we live in now. But this movie is not just about social media. It's about technology. It's about big tech. And Google knows way more about me than Facebook knows about me. I mean, Google can finish my thoughts. Google finishes my emails for me. Google finishes my searches for me. And it knows where I want to go on vacation before I tell anybody that that's where I want to go. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. We all know how it works, like when you're searching for something online and then in your Facebook newsfeed, it shows you all the ads. We know, or you search for something on Amazon, and for three weeks after that, you're getting this ads for that particular product. And you wish there was a button on the ad that said, I bought this already. <laughs> Leave me alone, you know. But we know that's going on, but I hear so many stories. Every one of us has a story about, hey, I was talking this with my wife, and we were just talking about where we were going to go vacation, or we were talking about purchasing this for the house, and I promise I didn't type anything in the computer, and the next thing you know, I'm getting ads about this thing. It's like somebody's listening to me. I'm like, yes, they are. It's called Alexa. We put the device in our house. If you wake her up, she will listen to you, so she's always listening. <laughs> or Siri, every time I say, hey, Sherry, my phone says, yes, what can I do for you? I said, no, no, I was talking to Sherry, not Siri. But... Um, so we know this, right? And none of us are ready to get rid of our email. None of us are ready to get rid of the internet. None of us are ready to get rid of online searches. Uh, we don't, I don't even know if I know how to do my job anymore without an online search. Like I don't even, I don't even know if I know how to plan a vacation or, or do anything without searching online. So we're not ready to get rid of all these things. So we got to talk about how do we manage them. Like, what do we, how, do, how do we navigate this? The answer is not just cut it off completely and that's it. We're going Amish, you know, nothing. No, we're not going to do any of this stuff anymore. That's not the answer. So what is the answer? Like, how do we navigate the new world that we find ourselves in? And as parents and grandparents, how do we help our children and grandchildren navigate the new world that they find themselves in? Because there is a lot at stake. I mean, there's a lot at stake. Mental health is at stake. Emotional health is at stake. Our spiritual health is at stake. Um... The stability and depths of our relationships, our, our identity, and how we feel about ourselves, there's just a lot at stake. And one of the quotes in the movie is, we have a moral responsibility to fix this. We have a moral responsibility to address this. So um, here's the way I want to preach this film today. A documentary breaks, breaks the problem down into three parts. Part one is the attention economy and how big tech is using that to manipulate our attention so they can sell our attention to advertisers. Part two is about uh, the psychological impact of social media on us, and especially upon our kids and, and the youngest generation. And then part three is about the political polarization in the echo chamber. So I've really got three messages in one this morning. And we're going to move through them pretty quickly here. But I want to show you a little bit about what the movie's talking about, answer that with a Bible verse, and then talk about some practical steps to maybe curb that or get that under control or, or better manage that. So the first one is the attention economy and how technology is designed to manipulate us into doing more scrolling. Because the more we scroll and the more we stay engaged and the longer we stay on YouTube, the longer we stay on Amazon, the longer we stay in any of those platforms the more they have to sell to their customers. And we're not the customer. The movie makes that clear. We're the users. We're not the customer. The customer is advertisers. And they're selling our data 
to advertisers because we've given that to them. Um, and here's a little clip. It's about 55 seconds of what that's about. Persuasive technology is just sort of design intentionally applied to the extreme where we really want to modify someone's behavior. We want them to take this action. We want them to keep doing this with their finger. You pull down and you refresh, it's going to be a new thing at the top. Pull down and refresh again, it's new. Every single time, which in psychology we call a positive intermittent reinforcement. So you don't know when you're going to get it, and you don't know if you're going to get something, which operates just like the slot machines in Vegas. It's not enough that you use the product consciously. I want to dig down deeper into the brainstem and implant inside of you an unconscious habit so that you are being programmed at a deeper level. You don't even realize it. Every time you, you see it there on the counter, you just look at it. And you know if you reach over, it just, it just might have something for you. And so you play that slot machine to see what you got, right? That's not by accident. That's a design test. So we know how that works, right? I mean, we know how addictive our phones are. Um, I don't bring my phone with me into this room. Actually, it's in the sound booth. But I leave it back in the sound booth because I know that if I get notifications, if I get text, I, I'm going to look at them. You can't, you can't not look at them. And if I'm not getting any, I'm going to check and make sure, like, how many times a day do we unconsciously pick up our phone and just look just to see if there's anything on there that we might have missed? So we know how addictive this stuff is. The question is, how do we regain control of our time and focus? If, we're, if there's a battle going on for our attention, and as believers, we think that our attention should be given to, to God and our focus should be given to God, then how do we regain control of that? Um, the verse that came to mind was actually one the governor uses in his book a lot. It's Romans 12, 2, uh, which says, We should not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so the challenge here is that, that we, we are not to be conformed to the algorithms of this world. We're not to be conformed to the notifications. That doesn't get all of our attention and focus, but we're to be transformed. Christians are called to be different. So we're called to live in the world, but not be of the world. So we're called to live different and to respond. And that means that includes social media and that includes technology. We respond differently to those things because once we're transformed, then we're able to test and approve what God's will is. What is God's will for my life? Not what is Google's will for my life or what is uh, Apple's will for my life, but what is God's will for my life? Uh, and so my paraphrase of this is that it's okay to be weird. It's okay to be weird. And it's okay to be weird about the way that you interact with social media because some of you don't have social media. And if somebody hears that, they go, that's weird. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's perfectly okay to be weird. Or you may have social media, but not have it on your phone. Or you may have social media, but have a time limit on it. Or whatever, like it, it's okay to be weird. So here's a couple of weird things that you can do to kind of regain control of your mind and your attention and your focus. Number one, we're going to go through these quick. Disable your notifications. Like disable all your social media notifications. You can go in and disable all notifications or you can go in and disable specific notifications. Guess what? You don't have to know the minute somebody comments on a Facebook post. You don't have to know the minute somebody tags you in a picture on Instagram. It, you just don't need to know that stuff. Like, and it's, it's constantly buzzing. And you know why it's buzzing? It's trying to get you back on. It's trying to get you back on and get you reengaged. So, so take some control of that and just turn off the notifications. The only notifications I've got on my phone right now are weather notifications and Life 360 and uh, what is it? Text. Yeah, I got, I got those notifications on the phone. And that's plenty. 
with just those notifications. I disabled all of the social media notifications, and your life will be a lot more peaceful. Uh, number two, disable your email. And I know this one, you're like, I, I can't do that. I can't do that for my work. I can't do that for my work. But you don't have laptops. You know, I mean, you can check your email on other devices than your phone. The reason that you disable it from your phone is because when you get an email, it sends you a notification. And then when you open up that email, no matter what you're doing, your time and attention gets focused towards that particular email. How many times do you get an email and you're about to sit down and have dinner with your family and it's something at work or where now, now all of a sudden you're just, oh, I got to take care of this. And how many times have you told people, I just, just hold on, I, gotta, I just got to respond to this email. Just let me get this taken care of. Or the, the reason I started doing this is because I, I was getting nasty emails like at 1030 at night. Like, I don't know, church people like to do that. Like right before they go to bed, let's fire off an email to the pastor. Uh, and so like I'd be going to bed and get a notification. Oh, there's, there's Aubrey. Let me see what Aubrey wants. And I'd open it up. Oh, <laughs> you know, and it's, I'm not saying Aubrey actually did that. I'm just picking on him. But, I mean, so I'm like, this, this is messing with my emotional health here. I need to control when I'm going to read those emails. So I'll, I'll read those emails at this time of day. And now I'm in a state of mind where I'm able to respond and, and be able to address these things. So disable your email. Um, reduce your contacts. This is a nice way of saying unfollow some people. Uh, you might need to <laughs> unfollow a lot of people. But listen we got thousands of contacts in our social media, or hundreds at least, at our social media contacts. We're not designed to keep up with that many people. We're not. There's people I hadn't seen in 30 years, and I'm, I'm caring about, you know, what they're upset about and who they're voting for and what's going on in there. I, I, why do I? I don't need to know this. I don't need to know. I don't need all your cynicism. i got enough cynicism on my own. I don't need your cynicism piling on it. And so you can reduce your number of contacts. There's there's these little features called mute, and you mute the story and the post. They don't ever know that you muted them. At least I hope not. Uh, but you can, you can mute them, and you can, un, you can unfollow or hide people on Facebook. You can, like, I, I, I want to stay friends, but I don't want to see your stuff anymore. We're still friends, and I'll say hi to you in the grocery store, but I don't want to know anything else you're thinking other than that. Uh, you know, that's fine. You can do that. Reduce the number of contacts, because what that's doing is... Allowing you not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. So you're taking control of where your focus and attention is. And number four is just scheduled downtime. Even if you're not willing to do the top three, you're like, nope, sorry, not going to do any of that. Okay, schedule some time of the day where you don't get notifications. Ten at night to six in the morning or whatever. Like, I don't, you can turn on downtime at any time on your phone, actually. If you're working on something, just turn it on. I'm going to have a couple hours of downtime. Turn it on and you don't get the notifications, all right? Um, so those are ways of just being weird, and maybe taking back some control of where your attention and focus is. Not allowing Google to determine where your attention and focus is, but you kind of take back some of that control. The second focus of the film is on the impact of social networking on our kids. And as a parent, uh, this is hands down the most frightening part of the documentary, and it's a, it's a very somber part of the documentary. Uh, this clip captures really the most somber part. Watch this there has been a gigantic increase in depression and anxiety for American teenagers, which began right around between 2011 and 2013. The number of teenage girls out of 100,000 in this country who are admitted to a hospital every year because they cut themselves or otherwise harm themselves, that number was pretty stable until around 2010, 2011, and then it begins going way up. It's up 62% for older teen girls. 
it's up 189% for the preteen girls. That's nearly triple. Even more horrifying, we see the same pattern with suicide. The older teen girls, 15 to 19 years old, they're up 70% compared to the first decade of the century. The preteen girls, who have very low rates to begin with, they are up 151%. And that pattern points to social media. Gen Z, the kids born after 1996 or so, those kids are the first generation in history that got on social media in middle school. How do they spend their time? They come home from school and they're on their devices. A whole generation is more anxious, more fragile, more depressed. They're much less comfortable taking risks. The rates at which they get driver's licenses have been dropping. The number who have ever gone out on a date or had any kind of romantic interaction is dropping rapidly. This is a real change in a generation. And remember, for every one of these, for every hospital admission, there's a family that is traumatized and horrified. My God, what is happening to our kids? See, the, the first part of the movie is kind of like the, oh, yeah, this is a nuisance, and they're trying to control our attention, and it's a, this is a time killer. And then this is when it shifts into, like, it's not just killing time. It's, it's changing the way people think about themselves. It's changing people's sense of identity and their self-worth and the way, like, she's touching her ears. If you didn't see it, she's touching her ears there because she had posted a picture and somebody said her ears were big. And uh, all these people had were saying liked it and you're beautiful and you're awesome and you're amazing but this one person said some derogatory comment and it's it like can you imagine the pressure like we didn't have that in junior high I'm, I'm, junior high is hard enough without social media and internet and smartphones and we didn't have that we weren't putting ourselves out, like, out there like that in junior high for people to constantly be criticizing and evaluating and determining whether or not they like our pictures and it's uh you know, like a lot of adults aren't emotionally mature enough to handle that kind of pressure. So why do we think our kids are? Right, what makes us think that, well, the, well, they're equipped to handle this, but and when we're not even equipped to handle this. And so the verse that, that came to mind here, and I want to talk to parents for just a little while, is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, which says, uh, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And it, like we have a responsibility as parents to, to bring our kids up in this world and to give them a, a biblical worldview and a foundation of faith that helps them have the self-confidence and the, uh, the, um, the identity and the self-worth. Like my identity is not found in how many likes and followers I got or how many people like this picture. My identity is found in who I am in Christ. We have a responsibility as parents to do that. And so that's, that's the, the command there. Um, the catch-22 is it also includes do not exasperate your children. And I'm like, Nothing exasperates my children more than me commenting on their social media habits, you know, than me saying, you need to get off of that thing, and why are you looking at that, and slow down, and all that. So, you know, how do we do this as parents? How do we, I think you do it primarily, I'm, I'm going to talk younger to older first, but you do it by just opening up a line of communication and opening up conversation about it, and, and not, you know, just a, 
you know, the constant lecturing about it. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't do that. Doesn't do any good. You you do that kind of talking through. Okay, well, what you know? How do you handle this? And how are your friends handling this? And you know, you just open it up and, and talk about those things. Um, that's as they get older. When they're younger, if you're a parent of younger kids, here's here's where we start. Younger kids determine the appropriate age that they can get a phone or the appropriate age that they can get on social media. Um, and determine it before they start begging for it because it gets a whole lot harder when they start begging for it. And they, and they will start begging for it because their friends are going to be on it and that, that kind of thing. So you just kind of determine at what age do we think our kids are old enough or mature enough to be able to handle this? At what age are they old enough, mature enough to be able to handle to get, getting a phone? At what age are they old enough, mature enough to be able to handle getting on social media, having an Instagram or that kind of stuff? Uh, and once they get on it, now kids, you're going to hate this, so I'm sorry. Uh, any kids in the room are going to be like, why did we come to church this morning? Um, once they get on, monitor their usage. You don't just hand them a device that's got that much access to the world around them, and there's that many threats and that much danger out there, and it's changing the way they think and feel about themselves and say, hey, good luck. You know, here you go. Here's your unlimited access to the world. No. You monitor their usage. Uh, as the youngest, when they're younger starting out, it's, hey, I got your password. I got access. I set up your account. This is actually my account. You just happen to be on it. And uh, I can look at anything you're looking at, and I can look at any of these messages that you're getting and any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so you monitor the usage, and then also I'm going to add the up third one there is set time limits, which is a lot of this is just common sense, but we just need a reminder, a little kick in the pants every now and then to do it. But uh, kids don't get to decide how long they're going to spend on social media because you're going to, you know what you're going to, if you just say you decide how long you're going to spend on social media, you're mature enough to dis- make this determination. You will lose that battle every time because of part one of the movie because Google and YouTube, they all have algorithms designed to keep your kids' attention on there the long as possible. So if you're just handing it over to them, it's, it's going to win. They're going to win. And so um, you set some time limits. And I think the younger they are, the more monitoring you got and the stricter the time limit. As they get older, those things start to reverse. You stop doing as much monitoring because you want to prepare them for being out in the world on their own and you're not going to you know, be looking over their shoulder all the time. And you stop doing as much time limit and let them have some freedom to make those decisions for themselves. Uh, but this was the one I started with was the big one. Just talk to them. They're going through something. Listen, your kids are experiencing something that none of you experienced. So let's, don't, let's get off our high horse as parents and come in with the lecturing and the finger pointing uh, they're going through uh, something that none of us have ever experienced before. We, we, just don't, we, we don't know what it's like to, to always have our lives on social media like that. So, so we open up some lines of communication and talk to them and make it a safe place to listen for whatever's going on so that we can help train them up in the way of the Lord. I mean, that's that Ephesians 6.4. Like, we're not trying to, not trying to, be, to exasperate you, uh, but we're just trying to help walk through this together with you and how to, how to deal with some of these emotions. All right, last one is moves from there, from your attention economy and how it's manipulating emotions to how it starts to manipulate our behaviors, particularly in regards to politics and the spread of fake news and the inherent danger of echo chambers. This is our last one. Watch this. Even two friends who are so close to each other who have almost the exact same set of friends, they think, you know, I'm going to news feeds on Facebook. I'll see the exact same set of updates. But it's not like that at all. They see completely different worlds because they're based on these computers calculating what's perfect for each of them. The way to think about it is it's 2.7 billion Truman shows. Each person has their own reality with their own 
facts. Why do you think that uh, Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of his world until now? We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Over time, you have the false sense that everyone agrees with you because everyone in your newsfeed sounds just like you. And that once you're in that state, it turns out you're easily manipulated, the same way you would be manipulated by a magician. A magician shows you a card trick and says, pick a card, any card. What you don't realize was that they've done a setup. So you pick the card they want you to pick. And that's how Facebook works. Facebook sits there and says, hey, you pick your friends, you pick the links that you follow. But that's all nonsense. Just like the magician, Facebook is in charge of your newsfeed. We all simply are operating on a different set of facts. When that happens at scale, you're no longer able to reckon with or even consume information that contradicts with that worldview that you've created. That means we aren't actually being objective, constructive individuals. And then you look over at the other side. And you start to think, how can those people be so stupid? Look at all of this information that I'm constantly seeing. How are they not seeing that same information? And the answer is, they're not seeing that same information. What are Republicans like? People that don't have a clue. The Democrat Party is a crime syndicate, not a real political party. A huge new Pew Research Center study of 10,000 American adults finds us more divided than ever, with personal and political polarization at a 20-year high. You have more than a third of Republicans saying the Democratic Party is a threat to the nation, more than a quarter of Democrats saying the same thing about the Republicans. All right, this should have been part two, and I should have done this in two parts, so I apologize. Give me five minutes. This one's huge. It's huge. Um, not only in our country, but in our churches. There is an increasing pressure in our churches to identify as a right-wing church or a left-wing church. Increasing pressure on pastors to identify as a right-wing pastor or a left-wing pastor. Is it, are, is this, are you pro-Trump? Are you pro-Biden? So it, it's as bad as I have ever seen it. And it saddens me because I've seen people leave churches, not only this church but other churches, leave churches not because they disagreed with the doctrine of the church or they disagreed with a biblical interpretation or they even disagreed with a worship style, but because they disagreed with the politics and it's usually the perceived politics because there's very few. I know there are churches out there that lean one way or the other and they're very, very political in their nature. Uh, this is not one of those churches. You don't, you're not ever going to hear me say who you should vote for and what party you should support and all that. Somebody in the first service came up to me uh, afterwards and said, you won't even tell us if we ask you outright because you remember me coming to you and asking you, who should I vote for in this election? You wouldn't even answer my question. And I said, that's exactly right. I'm never going to get into that. I'm never going to get into whether we're leaning, leaning to the right or leaning to the left. But because we're having this steady diet from Facebook and, and cable news and all of this stuff about politics, there are certain words that we can say in a sermon that will trigger people. And they will say, oh, see, that's what they're doing. Like, you'll say a certain word in a sermon, or somebody else will preach from this stage, say a certain word in a sermon, and people go, oh, see, see, they're going to, I knew that. That's what this one, I saw that on Fox News the other night. They said churches are going to be doing that. You better be watching. You better be listening. And if they use that language, then that's what they're going to be doing. Or I saw the MSNBC was talking about this the other night. Like, and they start going down it. And what I feel like is, I feel like 10 years ago, 
people would hear me preach and they would take what I preached and compare it to what the Bible said. Now I feel like people hear what I preach and they take what I preach and they compare it to what Fox News is saying. Or they compare it to what MSNBC is saying. And that, man, people... Let me read you a quote real quick. I just found this one in between services. Bill, uh, Bill Haslam, sorry. Our challenges... Our challenge is to think biblically about our politics rather than to think politically about our faith. And that's the problem is. I think we're, we, we think politically about our faith and politically about our churches, and then we use that to divide our churches. And uh, it's, it's tough. I, you know, I, pe- people used to hear me preach and go, let me, see, let me go back and see. And they, they may not agree. That's fine. You don't have to agree with everything I say. But you hear somebody preach and go, let me go back and read my Bible and see if, that, if I agree with that or not. Let me see what God's Word has to say about that. But now I think it's like you're constantly fighting against that, that stream in their news feed Monday through Saturday. And, uh, and it's, it's a losing battle. So what do we do here? Two verses. I'll give you real quick. Again, this is a whole other sermon in itself. So two verses. Uh, James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Please, 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 please. I just We should paste this verse somewhere on our social media like and just ever quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry so when when we, we read something that triggers us when we hear something in a sermon that triggers us when we hear something when there's a conversation in our small group somebody says something in our small group and we're like oh i don't know about that listen 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 and then come back if you got to talk then come back and talk but don't like if you see something online that that causes outrage at least take 30 seconds and Google it and see whether or not it's a legitimate story. It, it's really not hard. Just at least Google it and go, okay, did, that, did, did the governor really say that? Did that guy really say that? Whatever, just Google it and find out if it's true or not. It may be. It may not be, but find out. Uh, dial down the outrage. You know, I, unfollow people that are outraged. There's people that like to have uh, civil conversations and people like to have legitimate discussions about politics and social issues and that kind of stuff. And there's also people that just like to stir the pot. And some of those people that like to stir the pot get paid for stirring the pot. So I, I stop following those folks. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to be outraged constantly. I'm, I'm interested in other perspectives, and I want to follow people on social media that disagree with me politically or religiously, but I'm not interested in, in buying into the outrage machines that are out there. Uh, and that's my last verse. is right here. Sorry, I'm skipping over some stuff because we've got to go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24 says, God has put the body together. Talking about the church. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And there's two big truths there that, that the church can't forget, and that is that God put us together, and we should have equal concern with one another. Whether we lean to the left or we lean to the right, whether we vote to the left or we vote to the right, regardless, we, ha- we are united through our common faith in Christ. We are part of the same body of believers, and we can have conversations about it, and we can have disagreements about it, and I can say, brother, I just don't know that I agree with that. Our sister, I just don't know that we can have all of that, but we do not divide over that. We are part of the same family because God has put that family together. Back to the governor's quote. As real community becomes a smaller part in our life, many of us sense a growing sense of disconnection and decreasing hope for the future. Well, what's the, what's the answer to that, Gwen? Start finding some real community. Not Facebook community, not Instagram community, not TikTok community, not Snapchat community. Start finding some real community. Those are extensions 
of real community, but they're not a substitute for real community. Um, so let me pray for us. And I, we, the one last thing we got to do today is giving. And I did this in the first service too. I went too long and, and we didn't have time for giving. But, uh, oh, it's raining now. Oh, good. We, everybody wants to stay, right? Uh, so I, give me five more minutes. No. Um, on your way out, you can give at the secure boxes or the information's online right there. Uh, and you know how to do that. So um, you can give as you leave today. We won't make it a part of the service. You can just give as you're going out the door. But let me pray for us um, today. Father, I'm thankful for... Uh, I'm thankful for movies like this that make us think and that challenge us. Um, thankful for people that, you know, there's a, an awakening in someone's life that they have a conscious or, or stop and go, wait a minute, this, this is not right. What did, what did we create here? What did we do? I don't, I don't know that this is, I don't know this is a good thing anymore. And um, I'm thankful for those voices that challenge us. And so I, I pray that you help us to uh, have our minds renewed transformed like we don't conform to the patterns of this world we don't conform what big tech wants us to do but we we listen to to your your voice and your will for our lives uh, help us to navigate our uh, help our kids navigate this help our families navigate this help ourselves navigate this and and you know to manage our emotions and feelings that all of this social media brings up for all of us and to help our our nation navigated and our community navigated and and for us to god i just pray for civil discourse to return to our country and for um, people to not see the other side as enemies but to to just see them as people with a different perspective and 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 to hear and listen i pray you help us to do that quick to listen slow to speak slow to anger and help us to stay united as as to who we are in you and who we are in Christ Jesus. And it's in your son's name I pray these things. Amen. All right, next week, I've got a much lighter documentary. So I know you're scared of documentaries now that I've thrown this in at you. Next week is the last blockbuster. And it's a much more lighthearted documentary and a lot of nostalgia and a lot of fun. It's on Netflix, or you can actually rent this one. You can't rent this one anywhere. They, they're really strict about this one. They kicked us off of Facebook and YouTube this morning. So... Um, like they don't want us to know what we're talking about. It's <laughs> a conspiracy theory. But uh, next week, last blockbuster, so watch that one. Okay, And it stopped raining, so you're good. Thanks for being here.